But I figured out that if I, uh, if I don't walk in front of the speaker while my microphone is on, I don't wake you guys up like I've been doing the last couple of times. So we're going to trust that, uh, that you will be awake as we hit some of this material that we're going to be covering today. Today, the focus is really on public evangelism. So we've talked about the evangelism cycle, and we've kind of talked about how to, uh, how to move things forward in your church. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, how to move things forward in your church uh, through doing the It Is Written Bible School, the mailings and following them up and knocking on doors and introducing yourself and making new friends and things like that. Today, we're going to talk about how you tie it all together with the public evangelism portion. And I just wanted to take a, a quick moment and say a big thank you to Pastor Davis, who has helped to facilitate everything that we've been doing here this week. Uh, it has been a, a major blessing to have him uh, helping everything just kind of come together. Uh, for those of you who may or may not know, uh, Pastor Davis is in the Spartanburg Church, and uh, we're excited that he could be here to host us this week. Um, a few other things that I wanted to let you know about. When you came in this afternoon, you should have received something that looks remarkably like what I'm holding in my hand. Uh, this happens to be a resource catalog for all the material that it is written has available, or 90 plus percent of it. We've come out with a few new items since this was printed uh, not too long ago. But uh, we want to make sure that you had that uh, in your hands so that if you wanted to order anything that we've talked about, uh, you have the ability to do that. Another quick item, if you go by the ABC, You'll notice that there are two tables there that have it is written signs on them. Uh, both of them have our material on it. Some of them have the, or one of them has the, uh, the Bible study cue cards that I've talked about several times. Uh, it also happens to have the Bible study guides, and it has the copy of this book, Preparing for Your Harvest, that I talked about yesterday. Uh, again, the ABC here is giving you a phenomenal discount on a lot of the material that is out there. Uh, typically, this one runs $9.99 if you were to order it online. They have it on sale for $7.99, plus if you order, fantastic, thank you. If you happen to order more than, more than one copy, then you are able to get an additional 10% discount on this book. So that's like 30% off. It's an, it is an exceptional book. Uh, this is that one I was mentioning yesterday, that uh, if I could put this in the hands of every elder and every personal ministries leader, and every outreach coordinator in every church in North America, I would do so. Uh, it is an excellent, excellent book, and they're selling it for essentially 30% off, 20% plus an additional 10 if you get m multiple copies. Please do check that out. You'll be glad that you did. Um, it is called Preparing for Your Harvest. Preparing for Your Harvest by Dr. Jesse Wilson. Uh, he's a professor at Oakwood University. An excellent, excellent book. A couple of days ago, if you were here, you heard Maynard talk about the Mega Mailer, the Mega Mailer. And we have some copies of the Mega Mailer uh, that just came in. And a big thank you to our administrative assistant, Melissa, who just wandered in and is trying to look very nonchalant and smooth at the back and not draw attention to herself. Good to have you here, Melissa. Um, anyway, she just brought these for you uh, today. And so I'm going to see if uh, Maynard would be kind enough to help hand those out I want to make sure we get that in your hand. This is that, uh, that mailer that has uh, drawn incredible amounts of response from people all over the United States. Um, basically, they get this in the mail. They take this little card, and they tear it off and send it back to us, and then we send it to your uh, evangelism team. Uh, typically, about 11 per 1,000 is what we're getting a response rate on these right now. 
sometimes more, sometimes a little bit less, but on average about 11 per thousand is what we're seeing right now, which is about 11 times the regular average. Uh, so again, Maynard will hand those out. I hope that you'll take one of those back home with you and that it will be a blessing. Okay, if we've got couples or something like that, then one per couple. Just make sure we get it one for everybody. Also, it is written has a quarterly magazine that comes out uh, called Impressions. Let you know what the ministry is doing, where John is speaking, where I'm speaking, uh, different mission uh, activities that we have going on, whether it's in Mongolia or Moldova. Uh, we're going to do some work in the Philippines and a variety of other places. Uh, also, a lot of resources and, and tips on how to do effective evangelism. It costs you absolutely nothing. But if you are interested in receiving, completely free of charge, a magazine four times a year from us letting you know what's going on, you have a little card that's probably in your, uh, probably in your resource catalog that looks a lot like this one. If you don't see it in there, please raise your hand and we will bring one to you. All you have to do is just fill out your contact information there and then give it to either Maynard or me before you take off this afternoon and we will make sure that we, uh, we get you on our list to send that free magazine too. Again, if you don't have this card in your, in your resource catalog, then please just raise your hand, we will bring you one and we wanna make sure that we get that to you so that you can be up to speed on what It Is Written is doing around the world. <clears throat> one other quick thing before we dive in, uh, over at the ABC, on the other table that has the It Is Written uh, poster on it or a placard on it, you will find a number of Bibles. Uh, this is the It Is Written Everyday Bible. It's a New King James Version of the Bible that is very high quality, very nice. It's got a, uh, like a concordance in the back. It also has uh, some of our study guides in the back. It has some maps, uh, has some articles written by John Bradshaw in there. It is a powerful, well, remember the study that I showed you the other day? Study guide number one from the series. It's got study guide number one in here. I think it's also got study guide number 15, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so there's a variety of, uh, of different, uh, pardon me, it doesn't have study guide number 15. It has a study guide, one of the early ones here. I think it's two. So there's the first couple of study guides in there. Check these out because they've got them on a good sale again over at the ABC here. I think usually the hardcover version of this one goes for about uh, $15, somewhere in that neighborhood. They have them on sale for, I think, $12.99, if I remember what I saw over there. So swing by and check those out. They also have them in leather. Uh, they also have them in a, a leather soft that's kind of a chestnut color or a lavender color. Make great gifts. They're wonderful, wonderful Bibles. If you're going to be giving Bible studies, might be a good one to have on hand to do that. I think that's it for the announcements that I have today. Since today is going to be the last uh, part of our, our series together, I do want to leave a little bit of time uh, toward the end for some questions and answers. Is this a question back here? Yes. Yes. Whole set of DVDs, is that Revelation Today or Mysteries Revealed? DVDs are the simplest sharing card. I'm, I'm, what page is that on? 39, let's take a look here. Oh, it is written DVDs with a simple sharing card. Yeah, this was what I talked about, the resource I talked about a little bit yesterday. Um, I think it was yesterday, where if you don't want to carry around a bunch of DVDs to give people, you take these little cards, which I have a few in my wallet here, unless I gave them all out, which I typically do on a regular basis. 
document. What you can do is just hand out these cards to people and on the back of the card there's a QR code. So all they need is a smartphone that has the QR code scanner on it and they can begin watching the program, the It Is Written television program right there on their smartphone. So it's, it takes the place of DVDs. It's a lot easier, it's a lot simpler, it's a lot faster, it's a lot cheaper. Um, it's just a lot better, I guess is the simple way of saying it. And we've got about a dozen, maybe close to 20 different topics that we have those on right now and there are still a few of them on the back table there so I will encourage you to take a look at those. Uh, and I think a pack of 100 of them is like $4.99. So that's really cheap to give a lot of, uh, of DB DVD material essentially to, to a variety of people. So there's a bunch of stuff that's in the catalog. Some of that stuff is here at the, uh, on the tables with the, in the ABC. Please do stop by there and check them out uh, because they've got some phenomenal sales, less expensive than often you can even get them from us. So Stan here at the ABC is doing an excellent, excellent job of trying to get these materials into your hands and I hope that you will take advantage of that because my guess is that once camp meeting is over, you're not gonna see those kind of prices again for a little while. So do swing by there, check them out, pick them up and, uh, and pick some up for others too, especially that, uh, that preparing for your harvest book. If you get more than one copy, like I said, he knocks another 10% off of that and, uh, and just give them to the leaders in your church and I hope that they will be a blessing. All right. We're gonna begin today by talking about how you get ready for an evangelistic series. We've talked about a lot of the preparatory work, about how to get ready, how to get your team ready, how to set up the cycle of evangelism, how to uh, start up an It Is Written Bible School, how to follow up those leads, how to knock on the door, how to introduce yourself, how to do the first couple of studies and so forth. All of this is leading, hopefully, to some baptisms toward the end of this process, toward the end of this cycle. But ultimately, how do you get those baptisms? More often than not, it's going to be in a public setting involving public evangelism. Um, harvest time. How many farmers do you know that plow the field, that plant the seed, that fertilize, that water the crops, that monitor the growth, and when they see that the crop is ripe, they go, well, that's nice, guess I'll go home. What do they do when the crop is ripe? You harvest. And harvesting is more often than not done through public evangelism. But what a lot of churches today are doing is somehow they've got in their mind that public evangelism doesn't work anymore. How many of you have heard that rumor? You know, it used to work back in the day, but times have changed and people have changed and public evangelism doesn't, just doesn't yield the results that it used to. Well, here's the challenge. Back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, before technology got to where it is today, you didn't have a whole lot to do in the evening. I mean, you could watch one of your six television stations if you wanted to, but there really wasn't the internet and there wasn't smartphones and things like that. So people didn't have a lot to do. So if you wanted to have a successful evangelistic campaign, what did you do? You sent a handbill to the community and scores of people came out and they were excited about it and they made decisions and they got baptized and they joined a church and everybody went evangelism is so easy. And then in the 80s and getting into the 90s and moving up to where we are today, all of a sudden we have the internet and we have smartphones and we have a bazillion and one television stations. If you get the 
smallest package available, right? You can watch anything you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want, and people are busy today. So what happened with evangelism in the church? What changed? Nothing changed. We just kept sending handbills out to communities and expecting to see scores of people show up. Did they show up anymore? No, they didn't. We really shouldn't be surprised. We just had it really easy for a few decades, and we didn't realize that. Now, all of a sudden, we actually have to work to win souls, which really we had to do. We could have done it so much more effectively if we'd been doing it all the time. But we didn't, and we kind of rested on our laurels. And now, because we send out a bunch of handbills and a bunch of people don't come, we say evangelism doesn't work anymore. Not the case. Uh, it, it is written, we know very well that public evangelism is still by far the very best way to win large groups of people. But those large groups of people who come to the campaigns are there because we have done the preparatory work to prepare them to bring them to the campaigns. And that's what we've been talking about in the first four days. So now we're going to get down to that public campaign. The best way to harvest souls for the kingdom is through public evangelism. Uh, again, for sake of time, <clears throat> we're not going to run through and read these verses. But there are two very clear biblical examples of this, a lot more in the Bible. John 1.37 is one, Acts 2.37 is another, bringing large groups of people together, preaching to them, and asking them for decisions. There are a lot of dynamics that exist in preaching that don't exist in other ways of sharing the messages. Uh, for example, you have the proclamation. When someone is preaching, that is the proclamation is the preaching of the word. It's done in a different manner than you would do if you were sitting down in a person's living room in their home. You're probably not going to preach at them in that, in that uh, arrangement, are you? It's going to be a little bit more reserved, and it's more discussion and one-on-one -on -one and talking and interaction. It's a different dynamic when you have a public campaign where there is the proclamation of the word. You have illustration. That is the amplification of the word. Any good preacher knows that if you want to get a message into the hearts of the people who are coming, you can't just spout out scriptures. It's important to have plenty of scripture in your presentations, but you want to have illustrations in their stories that will help to connect the message with the lives of the people. And so these are very important to have as a part of it. Application, the application of the word. It's great to know these things, and it's great intellectual information, but it really only begins to make a difference if we ask the question, how can I apply this to my life? How is it going to make a difference in my life? And in the preaching, in the proclamation of the word, when you weave that into it, again, it begins to connect with the hearts of the people who are coming. And dedication. That is a call to action according to the word. We might call that an appeal. Appeals are very important. That's what helps people make decisions. Again, as I mentioned yesterday and the day before, one of the mistakes that a lot of churches make, a lot of uh, uh, inexperienced Bible workers make, is they just keep giving people lessons and not getting decisions along the way. If you don't get decisions along the way, when you get to the very end, what are you not going to get? You're not going to get a decision because you have trained them not to make decisions. So the key then is to give them many opportunities from the very beginning all the way through the end dozens, hundreds of opportunities to make decisions, small decisions that lead to bigger decisions that lead to the biggest decisions. And as you train them to make decisions along the way, it becomes very easy for them to make the big decisions when you get to the end. And we'll talk about that coming up in a little bit. There are going to be some decisions that you'll need to make as you're contemplating having an evangelistic series, holding an evangelistic series. 
Uh, one of the first ones is the size of the series. How big is it going to be? Second, the location of the series. Third, the budget for the series. Fourth, the length of the series. Fifth, the evangelist. And let's come back here. We're going to go through each of these in a little bit more detail uh, as we continue. So let's start with number one, the size of the series. How big is your series going to be? Well, part of that's going to be determined by the size of the territory that you want to reach. If you want to reach, you know, the, the northeast corner of the 32nd block in your town, you probably aren't going to rent the Civic Auditorium, right? You're just looking for something very small because that's where you're focused. But if you want to reach the entire town, and let's say you've got 20,000 people in your town, or 50,000 people, or 6.3 million people in your town, however big it happens to be, if you're going to mail out to that large an audience and you're going to have a dozen Bible workers going out, then you want to rent a decent-sized hall. You probably wouldn't spend, you know, 25000 on advertising and then rent a hall that's about this big. You'd want to spend a lot more money and time and effort looking for a facility that is going to accommodate everybody that you expect to come. Now, you may not be in a church that's looking to reach a town or a city of, you know, 2.3 million. Maybe you are. But a lot of churches tend to be a little bit smaller. Maybe they've got 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe 100 people who are coming, and you don't necessarily need to rent the largest facility in the area. You might want to hold it in your church itself. But part of this is going to be determined by the size of the territory that you're trying to reach. Just because you happen to live in a town that has 30,000 people doesn't mean that your campaign has to try to reach all 30,000 people. You could just focus on one little quarter of the population area in your town and next year work on a different quarter and keep doing it that way. If you've got a smallish church with not too many people, better to do it that way because you'll have the manpower that it takes to work that if it's smaller and do it each year rather than do a big series and you just don't have enough people there to, to do everything that needs to be done. Does that make sense? So kind of gauge what you think you're going to be able to do. Church involvement. I'm in the Carolina Conference. I don't know a lot about the Carolina Conference. I know a little bit. I've done some work here before. But I'm going to talk for just a moment about all the other conferences out there and not the Carolina Conference. It has been my experience in the other conferences that not everybody who's in the church is actively involved in ministry. Now, it's not that way in Carolina, I'm sure. Let me hear an amen. <laughs> but everywhere else, it seems like you've got that 80-20 rule, right? You know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's the way it typically is out there. So again, determine your church involvement. Let's say you're less of an 80-20 type of place and more of a place that has 50% of the people who are involved. Praise the Lord, right? So that's a great, a great percentage to have. It's very uncommon, but it's a great percentage to have. So if you happen to have more people in your church who you can expect to be involved, then you can hold a little bit bigger series. If you're in one of those churches where you've got 150 people who come on a regular Sabbath and 3.2 of you are actually involved in soul winning, well, you might want to hold a little bit smaller series. Might not want to you know, rent the biggest place. Might not even want to hold it in the church. Maybe you want to hold it in your living room where you can accommodate all the interest that you're going to be able to generate with your 3.2 people who are going to be active, actively involved. So church involvement plays a role. 
budget. Some churches, they put a lot of money into personal or into, uh, into local evangelism. They'll spend a substantial part of the budget that goes right into that. Other churches, it's kind of like, did we put any money in evangelism this year? I don't remember. What's evangelism, right? Again, I'm trusting that that's not the case where you are. But in other places, it often is. So look at your budget, see how much money you've got in there. Location of the series. Again, this is determined by the size of the anticipated crowd, church involvement once again, budget. If you don't have a lot of money in your church's budget for local evangelism, you're not gonna be able to rent a big facility. What's one of the least expensive facilities that you can use for an evangelistic campaign? Your church, right? You can use your church. Um, so again, the, the evangelism team is working together with the, the pastoral team and the, the church board and so forth. Everybody's co uh, coordinated and cooperating one with another. We're keeping people informed, making decisions together, but uh, budget is gonna play a role in that as well. Location of the series, a few options, church. Let's start with church for just a second and, uh, and kind of break this down. What are some advantages of using the church? We just heard one, one was what? Money, right? It's, gonna, it's not gonna cost much to use the church. Maybe a little bit of extra electric bill and the water and so forth, but the church is not gonna charge you rent. It, it, it shouldn't charge you rent, right? <laughs> to hold an evangelistic campaign. What's, a, what's another advantage to, to holding it in the church? Location, uh, all the members know where it is. That's helpful, right? And if your location happens to be on a thoroughfare in town, people know where it is, you've got good frontage and so forth, great, people know where it is. What's another advantage of, of church? Yeah. People get used to coming to the church. I mean, from, from the get-go, they're coming in the door of the church. That's great, right? Another advantage. No conflicting schedules. You don't have to set up and tear down every night. If I had a nickel for every time I had to set up and tear down a, a hall, I'd be a wealthy man. Um, we've, some, some places you go, you gotta set the whole thing up, tear the whole thing down every single night. Every night of the series, up and down, up and down. Yes. All the supplies you need are right there. It is, it is convenient to use the church in just about every way. What would be some negative aspects of using the church? Why, why might you not want to use the church? Some people may not want to come to a church. They just don't feel comfortable coming to any church. And they may not feel comfortable coming to specifically the Seventh-day Adventist church. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are some folk out there who have a prejudice against Seventh-day Adventists. I know this may come as a surprise to many of you, but this mentality does exist. In the minds of some people, Seventh-day Adventists are those folk who follow that little old lady got hit in the head with a rock, right? That's who they think Seventh-day Adventists are. Um, that's not the case. You and I know that to be not the case. But in the minds of many, that's just stuck in there, and they're not going to darken the door of a Seventh-day Adventist church. So that's one reason. What's another reason that we might not want to use the church? Location? Could be location, right? Not every church is on the main thoroughfare of travel, travel through town, right? It's kind of up the dirt road and out on the edges of town and you know, back behind the old mill and you know, so forth. So it might be, might be tough to find. What's another reason? Possible. Might not be big enough. It might not be big enough. In the end, that could be a really great problem to have if you've got more people coming than you can accommodate, praise the Lord, right? But for holding the series, you wanna find a place that will accommodate the crowds. What else? Yes. 
Excuse me? It can be. It can be effective. The question was, uh, years ago, they used to have, like, put a tent up outside the church. It's done less frequently these days, but it still can be uh, effective. A lot of times, if I'm going to start in a church, I will start in the fellowship hall rather than the sanctuary itself. At least it's a little bit of a division uh, between. It's still coming onto the church property, but it's a little bit, little bit better. <clears throat> Do you think that there are any churches? Let me, let me, let me rephrase this. Have you ever walked into a church and gone, ooh, right? ooh, what it smells like, mildew, smells like mold. Look, would you look at that carpet? I mean, that has got to be 70s shag, all right? I mean, there, are there churches like that out there? Yeah, there are. There are. Now, here's what's interesting. Typically, the members who've been going there for the last 37 years, don't realize that there's a problem because it's just always been that way. And why would we change it if everything is fine? But you get a new person who walks in the doors and they go, ew, we, we want to give a, a good first impression. So churches have advantages and disadvantages. If you're going to start in a church, I will make a few suggestions, and this is just based on experience. If you're going to start in a church, I would recommend doing a whole lot of preparatory work first. Do a whole lot of preparatory work so that the people who come are people that we would say are already qualified. They're not just coming in off the street. Now, some of them will be, but some of them are going to be people that you've been studying the Bible with and you've been inviting and so forth, and you want them to be a part of there, and they already feel comfortable because they know you. So an advantage to starting in the church Everybody who walks through that door on their first night feels at least comfortable enough to walk in the front door of a Seventh-day Adventist church. They're at least that open to hearing what you have to say. And that's a huge, uh, a huge obstacle to overcome to begin with. An advantage to starting somewhere other than the church, you will typically get a larger crowd someplace other than the church. But your crowd is not going to be a qualified crowd. It's going to be everybody and their brother. So when you make a transition from the hall, the rented hall, to the church, you'll probably have some attrition. Some people will fall away when you make that, that transition. But you get a crack at them in the neutral location first to try to build their, uh, their faith and trust in the messages that you're sharing. So there are advantages and disadvantages to starting in halls versus churches. And I like to kind of mix them up. If the church does a meeting in the, in the church one year, Keep the budget low and a lot of people that you already know come to that, great. The following year or 18 months later, do a series in a local hall, a rented facility. You'll get a whole different crowd that will come there. And so alternate them, go back and forth, and you'll find that you get a much larger uh, group of people that you're able to reach. So location of the series, church is a possible one, civic centers, hotels, uh, clubs, schools. Um, these are, they're all good options. There are advantages and disadvantages to them. Uh, hotels. Uh, we just did, I recently did a series up in, uh, in the Dakotas where we rented, a, we rented a hotel ballroom, and when the original rental agreement was made, the pastor thought that he was renting the entire ballroom, but it was one of those ballrooms where they divide it with those things into, into three, and when we got there on opening night, he found out that they understood that he just wanted to rent one-third 
of the hall. So we were, we were a little tight in there the first few nights, right? But we ended up arranging things and so forth, and we were able to, to make it all work. But there's, there's less miscommunication if you're just using the church. But the, the hotel worked out very, very well for us in the end. Uh, schools, schools can be very good. Pretty much everybody knows where the different schools in town are. But what, what might be a, a challenge with schools? Think of any? School programs, right? If some sort of school program comes up, you get bumped. That's just the way it is because their priority is taking care of the school facilities and, and, uh, and things that go on. So advantages and disadvantages there. Theaters, I've had some good meetings in, uh, in movie theaters before. Vacant stores can be good. Tents, that, uh, that one was mentioned just a, a little while ago. Uh, tents, I've done them, I've done them in tents, un-air-conditioned un halls. Um, I did one in Tennessee in, in the summer in an un-air-conditioned hall one time. That was brutal. That was brutal. But you know, one thing that, the, that helped was the ushers circulated throughout the audience all, all evening long with big pitchers of ice water. And when people came in, they got a, a cup. And so the, the ushers would just go around the whole night long, fill up people's cups with ice water. You know what? It was a little warm, but do you think that the people there appreciated what was being done? Yeah, that, that touched a heartstring, right? That said, okay, these people care. And so it, was, it ended up being a phenomenal series. I lost about 10 pounds. <coughs> you can do it in your living room. Do it in your living room. There's nothing that says you've got to rent a place. It could just be in your living room. If you've got a decent-sized living room, or if you're doing a smallish series and not a big mailing and just inviting a small group of people, living rooms work just fine. Budget for the series depends on the size of the anticipated crowd. Again, church involvement, location of the series. If you're renting a hall, it's going to cost you a little bit more than if you're using the church or your living room. Length of the series, um, you could do a one-week series, a two-week series, a three-week series, a four-week series. There has been, there's been a shift in the last few years toward churches wanting to do shorter reaping series. How many of you have noticed that? Okay. It used to be, how long was a series for, for many years? How, if, if you were going to do an evangelistic campaign, how long was it for many years? Uh, six weeks, I'm hearing, five weeks, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood. That, that was the norm for many, many years. Now, back in the day, you'd do them for six months. I mean, that was, that was forever ago. That was before my time. But five, six weeks was, was typical for many, many years. And then it started to get a little bit shorter, down to three weeks, down to two weeks. Now I'm hearing like 10 days. I got a call recently from a pastor who wanted me to do a weekend reaping series. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to fit all that into a weekend. That's tough. Um, if you've got people who are on the, on the edge of the baptistry just waiting to be you know, pushed in with your pinky, great, let's do a weekend series if you've got 50 people like that. But more often than not, churches don't have people like that lined up for baptism. They're simply wanting to have somebody come in and do a whole bunch of work in a short amount of time and expect a miracle. Does that work? It doesn't work. And again, we try to, we try to force something into a mold where it just doesn't fit. And then when we don't see 20, 30, 40 people getting baptized, what do people say? They say evangelism doesn't work, right? Well, no, it doesn't work if that's what you're trying to make work. So again, we're talking about how to do it effectively here. It's going to take some time. It's going to take a little bit of effort. It's going to take some blood, sweat, tears, and a whole lot of prayer. It might take a little bit of money. But in the end, we're going to see people who have made good, solid decisions for Jesus Christ and for the truths of his word, and they're going to stick in the church and be ready when Jesus comes. Amen?
So that's what we're shooting for. We're not trying to cut corners here. So budget for the series is going to be determined by the length of the series. Uh, expenses, you can expect that they're going to include the uh, rental venue, uh, the rental of the venue, advertising. What are some ways that, that uh, we can advertise? We know a handbill. Handbills are kind of the, they're the norm, they're the given. What are some other ways that we can advertise? Billboards. Billboards can work as a supplement. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Television. Television, uh, television um, commercials and so forth. And, and radio. Radio works. What else? Newspapers. Word, word of mouth. Word of mouth. Word of, social media. There we go. Yes. Magazines. Yep. All of these are fantastic. Now, what is the most effective form of advertising? What brings the most people and costs you nothing? It is word of mouth. Word of mouth is by far, far and away, the best form of advertising. Question. If it is so much more effective than every other type of advertising, and it costs you nothing, why do we spend thousands and thousands of dollars on handbills? That's the answer right there. Because we are lazy. Because we do not invite our friends. Because we do not invite our neighbors. Because we do not invite our family members. That's why we have to spend so much money on the handbills. That's just the honest truth. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've, just as, as a little bit of background, I've been involved in public evangelism, either full-time or in training others and doing it in my spare time for the last 17 years. Um, all around the world. I, if it's ever happened in evangelism, I, I've probably seen it. I can't tell you how many times I've had church members come up to me about three quarters of the way through the series, maybe nine tenths of the way through the series, and they come up to me and they say, if I had known it was going to be this powerful, I would have invited my friends. And I just think, and I, this is not about me. What makes the difference is the proclamation of the message. It's about the message. It doesn't matter who's sharing it. The message is what is important. And the message is powerful. The message is life-changing. The message changes the course of history. And if we are simply, if we are choosing not to invite people that we know because we're afraid of or we don't know whether the preacher is going to be any good or not. It's not about the preacher. It's about the message. Amen? And the, the Lord can work through the worst preacher to reach somebody's heart. Uh, unless my memory is foggy, I believe he worked through a donkey at one point in history. Did he not? And if he can work through a donkey, he can work through a church member. Amen? Now, does that mean that I'm endorsing terrible preaching? No, of course not. But God, God gives anyone who is willing the ability to speak powerfully for him. Amen? So advertising. A lot of those different, uh, different ways. Uh, social media is very, uh, very effective these days because you can, you can pinpoint who you want to advertise to. You can get on Facebook or one of the other social media platforms, and you can say, I want to I target this ad toward people who, to people who are between the ages of 17 and 35, who have an income level that's between here and here, who live in this part of the town, and who subscribe to bicycling magazines. Uh, you, you can narrow it down and say, these are the people that I want to I advertise to. 
if that's who you want. You, you can change, and another great thing about social media, in printing advertising, once you print it, that's what you've got. I mean, this, this is it, right? In social media, let's say you, put the, you release the campaign and you don't get a whole lot of clicks, you don't get a whole lot of response on it. Change something. Change your web page, change your ad. It takes you 10 minutes and then try it again. So it's great because it's inexpensive. It allows you to focus on exactly who you want to and you can change it anytime you want. Now, I am not going to be the one who says don't do handbills anymore. I'm a firm believer in handbills. We need handbills. But there are other ways that you can uh, support the handbills and make them more effective. Decorations, that's gonna be part of your budget. Literature to use during the meetings. Just a suggestion. Equipment rental. Could be uh, sound systems, projectors, something along those lines. Uh, where are you gonna get the income for your series? A few different places. Your evangelism team, hopefully they'll be contributing toward the series. Uh, the church, hopefully they will be behind the series. And the conference, a lot of times conferences will, will put in a portion of the budget of the evangelistic campaign. Now more often than not, if, the if a church wants to do an evangelistic campaign, they need, to, um, they need to apply for the funds like a year in advance. So again, check what you need uh, to do here. In, in this conference, sometimes the, the conference will say, we'll, we'll do 10% of the, of the cost of the program. Some conferences I've worked with have done a whole lot more than 10%. They'll do like 70 or 80% of the, of the cost of the program. Uh, others will say, we will give you X amount. We, we are willing to give a church $1,000 toward their evangelistic campaign. So look into that and see how much the conference might be willing to support. Uh, some more, some less, but those are three areas. There's a, there's a can't do four holding the clicker. There are four, there's a fourth source of income that you can uh, count on for the series. Can you guess what it might be? Offerings. offerings, offerings. During the course of your series, it's a good idea to have offerings. Now, sometimes the members go, we want it to be free and we don't want people to have to pay. It is free. They don't have to pay. They can come every night that they want and not give a nickel, not give a dime. But here's what I found. If people are appreciating something, they want to support it. They want to put some money into it. And once they invest some of their money into it, there's buy-in, there's connection. Because they have now, with their, with their wallet, endorsed the messages that they are hearing. And so they are more connected to the series once they give a, a donation. Sometimes you'll see people who'll come They'll give just a, a, a buck or two bucks. They don't have a whole lot. I've seen people give a whole lot more than that when the messages were touching their hearts. I mean, to the point where it's practically covering the cost of the campaign itself. So it is a great place to do, uh, to do offerings. My recommendation, depending on the length of the series, is not to do a nightly offering because when you collect uh, offerings on a nightly basis, people will give you nickels and dimes, dollars and two dollars. If you do it once a week, people start giving 20s and 50s. Uh, again, it's not about the making of the money, but it's about people putting their money where their heart is. Didn't, didn't the Jesus say something about that? Yeah, I think he did. <clears throat> Length of the series, some different options. Let me run through these here. Uh, there we go. A two-week series typically involves three weekends. So you got a weekend, a week, middle weekend, one more week, and a final weekend. Six nights a week, run, get 15 presentations. Three weeks could be four weekends, five nights a week, 18 presentations, four weeks. I like four weeks. I, I even prefer five weeks if I, can, if I can get it. 
uh, five weekends, four nights a week, about 20 presentations. So the longer your time period is for the series, obviously, the more messages you're going to be able to get in there. Another advantage to, to stretching things out is it is very difficult for a person to make it from zero to baptism in a week. There's a lot contained in the message that you and I know and love. I mean, you think about it. We've got the authority of Scripture, Jesus as the Messiah, the plan of salvation, the law and grace, the Sabbath, death, health message, hell, uh, the millennium, the uh, Antichrist, the true church, baptism. You're looking at a lot of significant decisions, and you're trying to get somebody to, to make all those in a week. That's tough. That's tough. I mean, some messages are going to impact them once a week, like the Sabbath. Other messages are going to impact them three times a day. What message can you think that might be? That's the health message, right? So these are some significant changes that people may have to make along the way. So better to have a little bit longer series if, <clears throat> if that is a possibility. You've got some different options for an evangelist. One great option is the pastor. Have the pastor be the evangelist. Great way to go. Could be an elder in the church. Could be a Sabbath school teacher. Oops. Could be the evangelism team leader. Now, these are all great options. Another option is to bring in the conference evangelist or to bring in an evangelist from who, who does evangelism as a full-time profession. So these are all different options. You don't have to spend a ton of money on a series. If you do a small series with a small mailing, you rely a lot on personal invitation, do some social media advertising, uh, order some some material, some supplies when they're on sale somewhere. You do it in the church or in your living room, and you have a local person be the speaker. You've got a decent series for very little money. Or you can do it much bigger. And I recommend kind of doing smaller series and alternating with bigger series. Uh, they're all very, very good. All right, let's take a couple of minutes here for questions that you may have. And we've got a, one more section that we want to cover before we're all said and done. Yes? It is. Okay, for those of you who might not have heard, <clears throat> if you want to have multiple speakers, can that work? Yes. In fact, it's, it's highly recommended if you have people in the church who maybe don't, haven't done a lot of evangelism before, haven't preached a whole lot, and they're, they're looking at this and they're going, I've got to do 15 messages. There's no way I'm going to do 15 messages. I'm going to die. Okay. You're probably not going to die, but we don't want you getting close either. So what can you do? Get three different speakers and alternate them. You know, have each person do five messages. That covers your 15. I think I made mention of this the other day. If you do, if you do do that, that's proper English, right? If you do that, I would recommend not announcing in advance who the preacher for the next message is going to be. So mix up the order of the preachers. Have one guy do it two nights in a row. Have another lady do it the next night. And then somebody else do it two nights in a row and then so forth. Mix it up so that nobody knows who the next preacher is going to be. Because what sometimes happens is some preachers may be a little bit more gifted in the area of preaching. And some might be slightly less gifted in the area of preaching. And if some guests are going, oh, no, Bob is going to be preaching again tomorrow night. He gave me a headache last time I came. Maybe I'll just skip and get the study guide. You know? But if you don't announce who's going to be speaking... They're going to come to hear the message, and they're going to be blessed. 
So yes, absolutely, you can alternate the speakers, but I will, re I will recommend not, not mentioning in advance who the speakers are going to be, yes. Yes. Perfect. I am going to be telling you all about it in the next section here. So you're tracking right ahead of me. Yes, Pastor David. Um, just for those that are members of the Carolina Conference, the past several years we have raised a million dollars for evangelism here at camp meeting every year. So next year in 2018, the conference is, is encouraging every church every company, every group to hold an evangelistic reaping series. Praise the Lord. And so in October is when you need to get your, your request for financial assistance in. Very so. good. Very good. So you can lovingly encourage your pastor to remember that October is the due date for requesting those funds. Now, you might not get all a million dollars worth of it, but uh, October is the day, the, uh, the due date for that, so please be sure to get that in. Any other questions before we dive into our last section here? All right, let's dive in, and again, we'll spend a little bit of time in uh, Q&A at the very end. So how do you conduct an evangelistic series? Successful evangelistic meetings do not have to be done by a hired evangelist or even by a pastor. They can be, but they don't have to be. They don't have to be expensive either. We just talked about how you can do a low-budget, very effective evangelistic campaign. They don't have to be large. We talked about some small places that you could hold an evangelistic campaign, places like your living room, right? They don't have to be complicated either. Now, when you do the full-blown, you know, big thing where you're renting an auditorium and everything, there's a lot of moving pieces. You don't have to have all that. It can be very, very simple. Conducting your own meetings. How can you do it? There's six aspects of a small meeting. First of all, you have the evangelist, or in many cases, the lay evangelist. So this is somebody who's not paid. They're just a lay member in the church, and they are involved in the, uh, in the evangelistic uh, campaign. Then you have the presentations. You need to get presentations from someplace, and I'll give you a little more information on that here very shortly. Then the meetings themselves, how to help people make decisions, visitation, and prayer. So let's kind of walk our way down through each of these. The evangelist, who do you want to have be your evangelist? First of all, they should be a person who is a Bible student. You don't want to have somebody who just looks good in a nice suit, you know, who maybe uh, has a million-dollar smile, who's a great presenter at, uh, at his or her office, right? They make great presentations and so forth. You're looking for somebody who has a walk with the Lord, okay? Because ultimately, that's what it's about. If you are a sincere person who has a walk with the Lord, that is going to be huge when you're working in a spiritual realm trying to win souls. You want to have somebody who prays and has communion with God, somebody who's regularly doing their devotions, somebody who's regularly studying the Bible, who doesn't just show up most Sabbaths to church. Right? This is somebody who is actively involved, has a real life with the Lord, and someone who has a passion for soul winning, someone who actually believes that public evangelism might work. Because if you've got somebody preaching who doesn't believe in what they're doing, it's not going to be very effective. But if they believe in the proclamation of the message, then they will be putting their heart and soul into it. The presentations, where can you get them? Well, I'll tell you one place that you can get some pretty decent ones for absolutely free. Um, how many of you have heard of a fellow by the name of John Bradshaw before? Ever heard of him? How many of you think he's a halfway decent preacher? Somebody said, very decent. Yeah, I would agree with you. 
Here's what we did very recently. We took his evangelistic campaign, all of his slides, all of his sermon notes, the whole manuscript of everything, and we put it into a format that you could preach. It has all of the slides, it has all of the sermon notes in the PowerPoint and keynote presentations. So we, we work both sides of the aisle here, Mac and PC, doesn't matter, we've got them in both. They are available to you for free to use whenever and wherever you want. And on top of that, they are editable. So you can change things around, you can move things, you can edit. If you don't like the illustration where he talks about growing up as a boy in New Zealand, you don't have to talk about growing up as a boy in New Zealand. Actually, we've already taken those out. But you can put in your own illustrations, move the slides around, put texts in, pull texts out, and make them your own. So how do you get them? It's not hard. You go to seriesbuilder.com. Seriesbuilder.com, and if I remember right, you don't type in the www. You just type on your, in your address bar, seriesbuilder.com, and you can download them all right there for free. All you gotta do is type in your, your email address, and you download them, and you, they're yours, and you can adjust them, and you can shape them, and you can make them your own. Now, for those of you who want to have some additional useful material to, to put on your evangelistic campaign, like let's say you wanna have the decision cards, and you wanna have the weekly letters that you mail to people, and you wanna have all the supporting material, maybe some advertisements that you can put in the newspaper and, uh, and online and things like that. If you want those, we also have some upgrades, uh, like a silver and a gold package that have those. Those cost a little something, but the first one is free. So if you like the first one and you want all the other stuff to put on the campaign, then check out the silver and the gold packages and you can order those if you want. They should be out probably within the next few months. But the free stuff online at seriesbuilder.com is there right now. It is ready for you to download. Did I miss anything? Perfect, all right. Dividing up presentations, as we mentioned before, uh, between two or three people is okay. The meetings, you're gonna look at the location, meeting nights and start time. Start time typically, typically is seven o'clock, 7.15, something like that. Depending on where you happen to be, the typical may not work for you. Maybe you've got a lot of people who do shift work in town. Uh, maybe you've got a lot of people, you're, you're in a, a metropolitan area where people are not gonna be able to make it there by seven o'clock because of traffic or something like that. You have to start a little bit later. Maybe you gotta do two, two sessions, one in the afternoon, one in the evening. So you're gonna have to kind of test it out, do a few different things uh, in your location and try them out and see what's gonna work the best. Uh, order of the program, we'll talk about that in a little bit, helpers and attendants and children. So let's talk about the meeting location. Determine the location well in advance. Uh, if you're gonna do these at the church, not such an issue. If you're gonna rent another facility, you wanna look a year, year and a half out, if at all possible, because what's gonna happen is if you don't plan ahead, you're gonna find that once you've nailed down that time of the year, that two weeks, three weeks, four weeks that you wanna do the series and you start looking for venues around town, you're gonna to find a lot of them that already have somebody booked in that center week or something like that and it's gonna to be tough. So well in advance, look for where you want to, uh, to hold the meetings. Choose a small, simple venue, even a living room works. Again, if you wanna keep it, do a small meeting, this is fantastic. Nights and times, start times, two week series, these are just some suggestions, you don't have to do this, this isn't written in stone, but if you have a two week series, Take one day off a week, take Thursdays off for example. Uh, three week series, you might take two days off a week, perhaps Mondays and Thursdays. I typically don't like to take two days off back to back. 
because if you take two days off back to back, you lose the momentum. So you want to keep that momentum going. A four-week series, you might take three days off a week, Sundays, Mondays, and Thursdays. There again, the Sundays and Mondays, that's back to back. I might not do that. I might do Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays or something along those lines. Uh, but again, you got to look at your schedule and the schedule of people in the community and see what's going to work best. <coughs> your program typically goes something like this. Music, then welcome and announcements, prayer and presentation, appeal, closing announcements, and then some music as people are, are filing out. The entirety of the program, the whole thing together, shouldn't be more than an hour and a half. More than an hour and a half is just long for people these days. So tighten it up. Um, a lot of times, oh, let, let me talk for just a second about music. How do I be genteel here? Don't, shall I just, shall I just speak straight? Just spit it out. All right. Use music if you have exceptional gifts in that area in your church. If you just have people who make a joyful noise, this is not the time for them to make that joyful noise. All right, I thought I might have a little bit of support out there. So there are other times that they can express their very gifted gifts. But when you're in the middle of an, an evangelistic campaign, that is not the time. You want to put the best face forward that you can. Uh, there is no law that says you must have special music every night. There just isn't. It doesn't have to be there. Um, if somebody is gifted, if you have people who are gifted and they're willing and able and free, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm a firm believer in the importance and the power of, of, of passionate, uh, soul-filled, uh, evangelistic Christian music. Um, I believe in it. It helps to, to motivate people and to get their minds thinking in the right direction. But I've, I've sat on the front row sometimes getting ready to go up to the platform and, and the, the special music took the platform and they began to play and I began to shrink. And just, I wish I could get smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, some of the stuff that I've endured has just been rough. But uh, you don't want to go that direction. And here's one other little pet peeve of mine. Special music. Nobody calls it special music but us. <laughs> We're the only people who call it special music. I remember sitting in the front row and some guest was sitting behind me and the, the pastor invited the special music to come up to the stage and he goes, the guy behind me goes, <coughs> the music is special. <coughs> we, have, we have our own, we speak a, a language, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, we speak a language that nobody else speaks. It's called Adventese, okay? Nobody else speaks this language. Um, I, you have to understand, I came into the church after I graduated from college. I didn't even know that Seventh-day Adventists existed until I got to college. I never met one that I knew of. So when I came in, I had to learn Adventese. All right, now I speak it pretty fluently these days. But when I first came in, man, it took, it took, there was a learning curve. I, I remember the first time I got invited to a lunch at church, and they said, we're having haystacks. I said, oh, yum. I hope it's got good sauce, <laughs> you know, because it just doesn't sound very appetizing to me. So anyway, well, I, I could talk for a long time on this. It's, 
a subject I love. Um, but anyway, don't seek Adventees. When, you are, when you're in an evangelistic uh, venue, speak English, right? Or Spanish or whatever you happen to be preaching in, whatever the language is of, of the day. Speak in a language that the guests can understand. Because if you start speaking a language that they don't understand, you become an exclusive group, right? And they feel left out. So speak in a language that they understand so that they feel comfortable coming and a part of the group. Amen? All right. That's me taking a little detour there, just something I'm passionate about. All right. Helpers. Who are you going to have helping? You'll need to have some greeters. Who are some people that are good to have greeters? What are some characteristics of good greeters? Tell me. Oh, smile, outgoing, kind of bubbly. If I say the word sanguine, how many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. These are your happy go like They're just bouncing off the wall. Oh, it's great to see you. Welcome back, and so on and so forth. Yes. People who are sure of their own salvation. Very good. Very good. These are people who are excited. Yes. Smilers. You know, the people in your church who just, you can't get the smile off their face. These are the people you want to have greeting people at the door. You don't want to have the person, welcome to the evangelistic series. We are so glad you're here. Register there. You know. No. Right? Yes. Y yes. Thank you. Thank you. Amen, sister. You do not want to have the person greeting who eats garlic beforehand, okay? I am all for the health message. But temperance is part of the health message. And when you're going to be greeting, you want to temper the amount of garlic that you have in the hours in which you eat it. Um, so, again, these are things that are just, a lot of times it should be common sense. One of the great things that greeters can do is get to know people. I mean, you're just getting to know them. You, you greet them every night. You welcome them into the hall. They get to know you. You get to know them. I remember there was a, a series that I was doing. It was probably uh, Mississippi, Alabama, somewhere in there. And, uh, and it was a, a lady named Mariette. Juliet, sorry. Juliet. Juliet, was, she was one of these bubbly people, right? And every night she would be greeting people. And she'd, oh, great to see you. Welcome back. Oh, John, we missed you last night. How you been? And so forth. And every night she was greeting people. And they just fell in love with her. One night, she didn't show up. She was sick that night. And about every third person who walked through that door said, what? Where's Juliet? Was she doing, was she working, doing what she's supposed to do? Yes. Getting to know people, making them feel welcome, making them feel like they're a part of what's going on here. So I tell, I tell the greeters, get to know people. Now, I got to qualify that, though, because I did another series down in Louisiana. Okay, there's, I've spent a little bit of time in the South, and some of you speak Southern, so I'm, I'm going to tell you something that many of you already know. There is a phrase that we can use which will allow us to say anything that we want about anyone we want with no fear of repercussion. What's that phrase? Bless your heart, right? See, I knew I was among friends here. So I was down in Louisiana, and we had a greeter who... Bless her heart. Bless her heart. I told her I want you to get to know people as they come to the series every night. So here's what she did. Every guest who came through the door, she lined them up against the wall. And she had a notepad. And she was interrogating them. What's your name? How did you hear about the series? Where do you live? 
it's time to re-educate, right? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. You're getting to know people, right? You're, you're building relationships. You're building friendships. So greeters, that's one. Registrars, that's for attendance. Um, let me talk about something here real quick. It is written is in the process right now of releasing an app that will help you to track all of your Bible studies, all the houses that you're going to. Put notes in about where you've gone. If they come to one of your evangelistic campaigns, you can keep track of their attendance in the app. If they come to a cooking school, you can add that to their profile. Okay, the app is free. It costs you nothing. If you go to the, uh, to the Apple Store or the, uh, what's the other one called? Yeah, Play, uh, the Play Store, the Google Play Store, whatever it's called. Um, Amazon Play Store, whatever. You know the Play Store, wherever you get your apps. Uh, it's Google Play, there we go. Uh, if you search for outreach, outreach, or it is written outreach, you will find the app there. You can download it. Uh, they're still working a few little kinks out of it right now and adding a few more, uh, more things that it can do, but you'll be able to map the places that you want to go. Let's say I want to visit these four people today. Pop it in there, and it'll map where you're going. So it's a phenomenal app. It is getting more phenomenal by the, by the day. But uh, you can download it right now and give you updates and so forth. So just search for It Is Written Outreach, and you'll be blessed. Free, free, free. So that's for a registration. Uh, you'll want to have a host. Uh, if the pastor is not the speaker, I would recommend that the pastor be the host. Uh, what I will also recommend is that the host be involved as much as possible in what's going on up front. Obviously, make introductions and so forth, announcements. But Q&A time, I like to have Q&A time during, uh, during each meeting where people drop questions in a, in a basket, in a bucket, and then each night we'll take a few and answer them. I like to have the pastor ask the speaker the questions. And then at, toward the end of the series, I like to swap it out. I like to have the speaker ask the pastor the questions and let the pastor answer them. Can you guess why? <laughs> Getting used to the pastor, and we're endorsing the pastor in his ministry, right? Lifting him up as an authority. Do you remember John the Baptist, toward the end of his ministry, he said something. What did he say? He must increase and I must decrease. So ultimately, we want to make sure that the, uh, that the pastor, the leader of the church, is, is lifted up. If he doesn't happen to be the speaker, he may be, in which case that uh, works out real well. Oh, ushers, uh, staff for children's meetings. Children's meetings are very, very important. If you want to have your church growing, uh, especially in the demographic of young couples, with children, have a good children's meeting. Because if you have good children's meetings with some crafts and things like that, that the kids enjoy, they will drag their parents back. Parents may not want to come back. And they talked about something about hellfire not burning forever. Mom, I did a craft and the paint wasn't dry. We need to go back and get it. And they'll drag mom and dad back. So have a good quality children's program and you'll find that it is a huge, it is huge. Attendance. Keeping attendance lets you know which pre presentation specific guests have attended and missed. It helps with follow-up visitation as well. Uh, children, well-prepared children's program motivates children who want to come. When children come, as I just mentioned, they bring their parents. Can be similar to VBS or Sabbath school with a story time, craft singing, Bible games, and a Bible lesson. I will recommend also finding a children's program, and it is written carries one if you look in our, in our catalog, where you can marry up the topic that is covered in the children's program with the topic that is covered in the nightly presentations for the adults. It just gives it a childlike level that it's presented in. That means that on the way home, mom and dad and kids can discuss the subject together. 
So it's great when you can pull those two together. Uh, I'm not a big fan of just sticking a, a DVD in and letting the kids watch that at night. That's not what it's about. We want to educate the children as well. Four different kinds of decisions in an evangelistic campaign. You have the raising of hands, standing calls, decision cards, and coming forward. There's another name for coming forward. What's it called? An altar call, right? So four different kinds. Typically toward the beginning of a series, as you're preaching and asking for relatively small decisions, you'll just ask people to raise their hand. How many of you want to be ready when Jesus comes? Would you raise your hands with me, right? And so that, that's easy. It's not hard to throw your hand up in the air. It's a little bit more difficult. It takes a little bit more of a decision to stand up. You know, so Jesus is coming back very soon, and he's looking for people who are serious about their relationship with him. Not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. He's looking for people who love him enough. He says, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. He wants people who love him enough to keep his commandments by his strength and by his power. If you want to ask Jesus tonight to help you to keep his commandments, let's stand together. And so everybody stands up. We go, well, I almost got a decision right there, right? <laughs> so, and so, so people start to stand up. Decision cards, they can be very helpful. Because a decision card, when you pass them out, people fill out their decisions on the card, and then they turn them back in. That means you have a hard copy of the decision that they made with their name and their address and their phone number on there. That's great for following up when you do visitation. You can show up at the door and you can say, Larry, I was so encouraged when I saw how you filled this card out that you wanted to be among the saints in the, in the New Jerusalem at the beginning of the millennium. I'm encouraged by that. Let's pray that the Lord will help that to happen. And you've got that card right there in, their, in your hand and you're showing it to them. That's powerful. The fourth is coming forward or an altar call. Altar calls are typically done a little bit later in the series. Now, I will make a recommendation. If you're going to do an altar call, I would not just do an altar call that night. I would make a combination call. I would combine a standing call with the altar call. Do the standing call first. And then, once people are standing, make the altar call. So ultimately, you're making two decisions. The first decision is going to be a lesser decision, a more general decision that will get everybody standing. The second decision is the altar call that's going to bring some people forward. Why do you think we would want to get everybody standing before we call people forward? Can you think of any practical reasons? Yeah, you're half the way there, right? You're already up. What's another reason? Nobody feels left out, right? Everybody's part of it, yeah? And it's kind of awkward when you say, those of you who want to you know, fill in the blank, please come forward. If everybody's sitting down, you've got to, first of all, stand up, and you're like the only one. I mean, hopefully there'll be other people, but you're one of the few people who's standing up, and then you've got to be like dodging kneecaps. Excuse me, hang on, pardon me. Oh, sorry about that. And you're trying to work your way out of the aisle, right? It's really awkward. But if you can get everybody to stand up first and then make that more specific call, it's easy to just slide out and come on down. It's also helpful if you have some of your volunteers prep them beforehand and say, I'm going to be making an altar call tonight. I want you guys to come down forward as well. Because as the volunteers start moving forward, some of them, what goes through the minds of the guests who are coming? Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I need to go too. And they see some people coming, and they start coming down. So I will recommend doing a, kind of a two-part for the altar call, standing and coming forward. Decisions, each, uh, end each presentation with some kind of a decision. You don't want to preach for 45 minutes, an hour, 
and then just say amen. I mean, you've just fed them a, a four-course meal of Bible truth filled with Jesus, right? You want to give them the opportunity to do something with it. Don't just give them information and say, God bless you, good night. Let them make a decision because that, that just allows the Holy Spirit to do even more work in their hearts. Smaller nightly decisions pave the way for major decisions later. We've talked about that. Major decisions are made through decision cards and altar calls. Make all appeals prayerfully. Visitation, we're just going to kind of move through this fairly quickly. Visitation is a key element of a successful evangelistic series. Be warm and genuine. Uh, I don't think I have one of these cards up here. But if you want to learn more about effective visitation, I will recommend that you watch some very short yet very powerful training videos that are called what? Oh, no, no, come on, help me now. I've told you about them the last few days. What are they called? Salt 365, that's right. If you're not familiar with Salt 365, if you've never watched it, just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever watched some of the Salt 365 videos? All right, are they worthwhile? All right, there you go, there's your endorsement. There are some cards at the back, little green cards, they look like business cards. Don't leave without picking up a bunch of those for yourself and for the other leaders in your church. Free videos, training just like this, available online 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, free. You can download it. You can play it anytime, anywhere that you want. Make sure you pick that up. Uh, talk to, to you all about visitation. Be warm. Be genuine. Don't stay too long. You want to make those visits very short when you're talking about evangelistic visits. Gospel Workers 193. Your success will not depend so much upon your what? Knowledge and accomplishments as upon your ability to find your way where? To the heart. Here's some sample questions for visitation. Have you attended meetings like this before? What do you think about what you've heard so far? That second question there is a great question because it's open-ended. It's not just a yes or no question. What do you think about what you've heard so far? And then just be quiet and let them talk. You'll learn a lot when you ask open-ended questions. What do you think about whatever you just talked about the, the night before? Mention a specific Bible truth. Prayer. Set up special times of prayer before the evangelistic series opens during and after. Our most powerful weapons in spirit, our most powerful weapon in spiritual warfare is what? It is prayer, that's right. A few additional pointers. Organize well and ahead of time. Start and end on time. This is super, super important. And I'm going to cover this in minus one minute because it's 316. So you always want to start on time. The tendency is to want to wait until the crowd grows because you get people who straggle in. How many of you know this to be the truth? Okay. Start on time regardless of how many people are there because if you start five minutes late the first night to let the crowd grow, what are the people who came on time going to do? They're going to come five minutes later the next night. And so next night you wait ten minutes because your crowd isn't very big. And what happens then? Then they all come later. So start on time. Train the people to come on time, and they will learn to do it. Radiate Jesus to people as they arrive. Dress modestly. Focus should be on who? On the guests. And avoid arguments. Don't get into politics. All right. I am going to hang around for a few more minutes. I want to end as close to on time as I can. And so we're going to have prayer, but I will be around. Maynard, where is Maynard? Did I lose? He's going to get some more salt things. Uh, Ellie, there's Maynard at the back. Uh, as uh, those of you who've been here early in the week, you got the, the blessing to be instructed and trained by Maynard. Uh, he is one of our plan giving and trust services uh, representatives, field representatives, and he, uh, he spends a great deal of time here in the, um, or ha he has been, he's involved in evangelism now. He, he kind of wears several different hats. And um, he's uh, involved here in the Carolina Conference a great deal. Many of you already know him. 
but please stay by and talk with uh, Maynard and Ellie. And uh, if you have some questions, I'm around for a little while as well. But let's end with prayer. And God bless you as you seek to light a fire in your church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to reach out to others in your name and for your glory. We can't wait for that day when Jesus returns in the clouds to take his children home. We want to be ready, and we want other people to be ready too. Help us to be a light in our own congregations, a light in our own neighborhoods, to draw people closer and closer to you. And we ask that you will bless us in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of camp meeting. Please feel free to take material on the back table there. Uh, we would love for you to have it. And uh, especially those Salt 365 cards, take a bunch of those for the people in your church. Please do stop by the tables over at the ABC. Again, those specials will not last.